found God's Word. In fact, the first few verses of the book of Proverbs says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive instruction in, of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb, an enigma. These are the words of the wise and their riddles. There's so much contained in the book of Proverbs that provides for us how to deal with the world in which we find ourselves. And so as we go now to chapter 16, I really want us to look at verses 1 through 9 because verse 1 and verse 9 go together, if you might would say, as bookends of this discussion in which we're going to look at. There are three things that I want us to observe, I think are found in verse 1 and verse 9. That is, man proposes and God disposes. Man makes his will of what he wants to do in life, but it is in fact God who ends up directing the affairs of this world. And then finally, I want us to talk about Scripture exposes this. It shows us God's plans. Let's begin, first of all, with the idea of man proposes. You know, God made us free moral agents. That is, the, with the ability to choose, to think, and decide for ourselves what we want to do. The brethren at West Fayetteville called me last week and asked me if I would speak on their summer series. And I got a very interesting topic. And that is how parents deal with conflict with their children from the Bible. And I, my first thought was, children are free moral agents themselves. They have the ability to choose, and that many times is what produces the conflict. Of course, there's going to be a lot more to that, but you think about the fact that us, we make our plans, we make our goals, we choose what we want to do because God has given us that ability and that privilege. Look with me, if you will, at verse 1. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The preparations of the heart, what you and I plan to do, what we've got in mind. I dare say that if tonight I were to go one by one and say, what's your plans for tomorrow? Most of you probably have some kind of idea. Some may say, well, I'm going to come to the Monday morning Bible class, which we intended to add to the announcements. Uh, some of you may say, I've got to go to work in the morning. Some of you may say, I've got to go to school tomorrow. But you've got your plans in mind. But God is the one who answers with regards to that. Man has a number of choices that he may make. You know, a parallel passage is in Proverbs 19 and verse 21. There are many plans in man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand you and I have a multiplicity of choices that we can pursue after. And the truth is, 
Very few people are going to stop you from pursuing what you want to. You want to be lazy? You can be lazy. You want to be a hard worker? You can be a hard worker. You want to be really spiritual, faithful, and loyal? You can be that way. You want to be a sinner like the devil? Then you can do that as well. But you see, there's only one really right way that is involved in this. Now here is an important part. I want us to look at verses 2 and 3. Because every one of us believe that we know best. And even the things that we might do that are wrong, we rationalize them, we justify them. Someone said something bad, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll get back at them. I'll say this, and I am justified in doing that. Notice with me, verses 2 and 3. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Now, in my mind, if I were going to preach on my favorite verses, I probably would have pulled those two out by describing how you and I really think about ourselves. What do I think in my mind about what's right? If you will, let's parallel some passages. Chapter 12, verse 15. The fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. You see, the problem is, is that often I want to be able to devise in my own mind, to think in my own heart about what I believe is right, and I don't want anybody else telling me that I'm wrong. On the other hand, if I would be wise, I would listen to the counsels of wise men, of good men. In fact, earlier he talked about the counsel of the Lord. But he who heeds wise counsel, or counsel is wise. Chapter 30, verse 12 says, There's a generation that is pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed in its filthiness. How many of us today look at our society and say, Oh, it's just become awful. The vulgarity, the immodesty, all of the directions that seems that the world is involved in, and we find ourselves saying, do people not understand that they're sinning? But there's a generation that has been reared with saying, you don't study the Bible. The Bible doesn't have the pronouncements of right and wrong. It's been forbidden to be taught in our schools, and many homes are not teaching it. And so here's a child, he grows up, and he has no moral sense of guidance and doesn't realize the life that he lives is not pleasing to God. Or you go to chapter 24, verse 12. If you say... Surely we did not know this. Does not he who weigh the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? He will not render to each man, and will he not render to each man according to his deeds? God looks at you. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what you're planning you can't look at God and say, God, I really didn't know, I didn't understand. You know, so many times we want to plead ignorance in this world because nobody else knows what's in our mind, but God knows what's in our mind. He knows what's in our hearts and what we're planning to do. 
man is awfully, often woefully ignorant of God's will and God's work. In Proverbs 20, verse 24, he says, A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? Now, there's a lot more in that than perhaps is just on the surface. A man's steps are of the Lord. If I were to ask you who is in control of this world, you might say God is. But when we come to thinking about the things that we encounter in our lives, the things that we face, we might say, but I'm in control. But really, are you? Can you control all the things around about you, the, the difficulties you're going to face, the problems that are going to come in your life? And most of us are going to have to admit, no, we can't. If I do not know how everything factors into this world, how God can allow me my free moral agency at the same time be in control of the affairs of this world, how can I understand my own way? And just to throw this in, Jeremiah 10 and verse 23 says, Oh Lord, I know the way of man. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. He doesn't really know. I don't know. You don't know. So if we don't, what ought we to be doing? We ought to be asking God. Man is best when he humbly acknowledges God's will. Look with me. Chapter 16, verses 6 through 8. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. A man seeking for atonement, a man seeking for forgiveness, has to find it in God. When a man is trying to align his life with God and his will, he'll even find the world in which he lives to be a much better place. Somebody asked the question, was it better to be a Christian or a non-Christian? Well, it's always better to be a Christian. Because if I'm a Christian and I'm doing what's right and I'm living the way God wants me to, I'm going to have a better life because I'll make even my enemies to be at peace with me. You see, the best that I can do is to walk humbly with God. He talks about one who departs from evil has atonement, one who pleases the Lord finds peace, and little with the righteousness is much better than those vast revenues. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8, I think is the best commentary. This is one of the first passages we talked about as our favorites. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Man proposes. Now let's look at God disposes. When you get to verses 4 and 5 in this context, we read, The Lord made all for himself, 
Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none go unpunished. The Lord has made all for himself. Now, I don't know if you can absorb in just a second or two hearing that read the significance. The Lord made all for himself. The material out of which these blocks are constructed, God made that. He made it to be a part of this world the way he wanted it. God made you and God made me. He made everything. But it's all for himself. The way he wanted it. Now, when you think about it, he also made the wicked for the day of doom. You've got to see within that the fact that God is working things the way he wants to. In Exodus chapter 9... The Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord of God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and your people that you may know that there is none like me on the earth or in all the earth. Verse 16, For indeed for this purpose I have raised you up. For this purpose I raised you up, Pharaoh. You may think, look by my mind and my power what I have built down here in Egypt. And God says, no, I raised you up. I put you in this position for my own glory, for my own purposes. Well, that's really a powerful thought. Listen to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a book where you have a prophet of God struggling with the sinfulness of of God's people. And God, why aren't you doing something about it? And here's God's answer. Verse 5, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe in though it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and a hasty nation who marches through the breast of the earth to possess dwelling places that is not theirs. The Chaldeans are coming. The Babylonians and I raised them up. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar thinks it's him, but no, it's not. I raised Nebuchadnezzar up. I put him in that position. Man has to realize the depths of God's wisdom and plans. And I dare say that you have to humbly acknowledge you don't understand it all because I don't understand it all. None of us do. When Paul looked at God's divine plan with regards to saving the Gentiles, here is his summary statement, if you will, in Hebrew, uh, Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. How was God able to take the Jewish people and be able to use them to teach the Gentiles, and then by the obedience of the Gentiles, turn around and provoke the jealousy of the Jews so that they would be obedient. I don't know. Paul says, I don't either. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Because of that, once you realize God has made a place for everything within his plan. Everything. Even a place for the wicked to use them and to punish them. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time, and He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work of God does from the beginning to the end. I can't see it all because God has not permitted me to. But folks, I know that God has a plan, and He's working that plan. The nations that God used, Babylon, Rome, all of them, brought about His will. In Psalms 9:17, David writes, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. Which brings me to the third part of the lesson. That is, we've seen man proposes, he's got his ideas. God disposes, God's in control. But now Scripture exposes me to understand this. Were it not for the fact that I have recorded in the pages of Scripture all of these things, I wouldn't understand that. And God has allowed this principle to be understood. Let me just use a few illustrations that will make the point I'm, I'm trying to draw out here. Haman. If you'll remember the book of Esther, there was a man by the name of Mordecai who would not bow before this high official and Haman, because Mordecai would not bow before him, developed a hatred for the Jewish people. He developed a plan in mind where he would have Mordecai hung upon a set of gallows. Of course, you know the intervention of Esther, who was the niece of Mordecai. And Esther 9 and verse 25 says, But when Esther came before the king... He commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. You see, here's a man by the name of Haman who had in mind killing Mordecai and it was turned back on his own head. You see, God was involved. Let me give you a second illustration. If you'll remember, I made reference to it this morning, the sons of Jacob. His favorite son, Joseph, was sold into captivity, become just a common slave down in Egypt. Finally, because of the blessings of God, he arose to a position of being governor over the land. That didn't just happen by accident. God was in control when the brothers appeared before Joseph, they were fearful of how he would respond after Jacob died. And here's the way Joseph responded. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. You wanted it to turn out bad, but God wanted it to turn out good. Back in chapter 45, verse 5, verse 7, Joseph said, But do not 
Therefore, be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7, And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. You see, I can see God in the life of Esther. I can see God in the life of Joseph. And I can see God in the life of Nabal. Nabal's not as familiar to us, but Nabal was a man who lived at Mount Carmel, that Jezreel Valley. Nabal had a really wise wife by the name of Abigail. David and his men had been protecting the area around Carmel. And David's men did not ask for anything. They had just simply done a good job of providing protection. And so when David's men were in need, he said, well, we've protected these people. There's a very, very wealthy man who's here who's enjoyed this. His name is Nabal. Let's go ask him for some provisions. Nabal's response was harsh and rude and uncaring, basically saying, I'm not going to help you. David, you and your men go back. We have no use for you whatsoever up here. David was angry. He would like to have taken Nabal's life. Abigail, on the other hand, prepared provisions. She carried it out to David and his men, and she prevented her husband's slaughter. Nabal pitched a drunk. I guess that's the best way to put it. And what happened is the next morning after the wine had left him, he had sobered up. She told him what she had done. His heart became as stone and he died. Listen to 1 Samuel 29, verse, or 25, verse 39. So David heard that Nabal was dead, and he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned wickedness on Nabal on his own head. You see, this man who was trying to harm and hurt God's people had it all turned back on him. God was involved. Let me give you one more and then I'll try to sort of bring all this together. You remember Rehoboam? You remember after Solomon died, you had Jeroboam in the north and Rehoboam in the south and the people came to Rehoboam and said, please, we're under such a heavy tax burden. We need some help. Give us some, some deliverance. Rehoboam went to the older men, and the older men said, yeah, they really do. And what you need to do is serve the people. Do what they need done, and these people will serve you forever. He listened to the young men who said, tell them, that my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. You think he was a taxer? Wait till I get through with you. And a rebellion started. 
If you go to 1 Kings 21, verses 21 through 24, And Rehoboam came to Jerusalem. He assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors, to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, son of Solomon. The word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah, and Benjamin, and all the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up and fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they observed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. God said, the northern part of the kingdom leaving is from me. I did that. You might say, well, why did he do that? Go back earlier to chapter 11. I just want to pull out two verses. Verse 11, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and not kept my covenant, my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Verse 31, And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. You see, it wasn't Rehoboam who was in charge. God was in charge. And God's decision was based upon what Solomon had done. Man proposes, but God disposes. And Scripture explains to me, exposes me to the fact of God's working in this world. One learns that he's not always in control, that God is. But that's reassuring to me. Because if I were in control, I would really make a mess. There's times in which I've looked and I've wondered, why don't we just do this? Why doesn't God just do that? And later on in life to realize that would have been a very foolish, selfish move. But God doesn't think that way. One learns that things may be bad, but God can make them much better. Quite often you see the world crashing in on the lives of people. And then you see how God is able to work those things to bring about the good of His will. And one learns the best choice man can make is to follow God's plan. Seek it, search it out. Find out what God wants and serve Him in your plans. What a marvelous verse is Proverbs 16, verse 9. If you will, take your songbook out now. We're going to sing the song of encouragement. For those who are here and may want to become a child of God, everything is prepared for you. It's a choice on your part as to whether or not you want to be a servant of God. If you are a servant of God and yet you have been negligent and disobedient and rebellious in your behavior, it's important that you recognize that and say, I want to no longer be on the wrong side. I want to be on the Lord's side. We encourage you to respond while we stand and sing.